Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? We are in a sermon series called There Will Be Giants because there always are giants in life. We're looking at the life of David, King David. And, uh, you know, he fought Goliath, and Chad preached on that text last week, uh, and we leaned in. But he, he didn't just slay that giant. There were arguably even more fearsome giants that he faced. And today we're talking about the giant of jealousy. David had to come toe-to-toe with this giant over and over again, over a period of 10 to 15 years, actually. He was the recipient of envy and jealousy and bitterness and resentment from King Saul. And King Saul ultimately, though he was anointed by God, would disqualify himself as God's leader, as the king of Israel, through disobedience. And God would remove his anointing and anoints David, but that process was not a smooth one. That transition was a little bit clunky, and it was very painful for David, and it was painful because of the giant of jealousy. As we uh, prepare our hearts to talk about this and apply it to just to our own living and our own life, I want us to, um, in a moment, just watch a short video from a theologian from the 1980s. And uh, as we hear this little reflection on jealousy, would you just scan your own heart for uh, anything that uh, God might prompt by way of insight? Let's take a look at uh, this uh, theologian from the 1980s, a little commentary. Jesse is a friend. Yeah, I know he's been a good friend of mine. Lately something's changed, it ain't hard to define Jesse's got himself a girl and I wanna make her mine And she's watching with those eyes And she's loving with that body, I just know it And he's holding her in his arms late, late at night I wish that I had Jesse's girl. I know, that's a little irreverent for church, but if you ever, can you really think of another song that's on the nose to that degree about jealousy? I mean, he's like, yeah, you're my friend, but really I just want your girlfriend, and I'm just going to go on and on, line after line, talking about how jealous I am and how really I deserve her, and I can't believe this guy got that girl and I'm funnier than that guy, I'm better looking than that guy, and come on, I want Jesse's girl. And sometimes you need something that ridiculous to soften up the defenses and be ready to hear God's word to convict us, because I think, whether we know it or not, we've all had a little bit of that Jesse's girl symptom, and maybe it's not envy over uh, somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, but, you know, it, it could be their their looks, their, their home, their material possessions, their spiritual gifts. It really goes on and on. We're in uh, 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 14. If you want to turn to that on your Bible or a smartphone or look on the screen, we have the NIV up there that I'll be reading for him. We start at verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. This is God's word. Today, uh, in the time we have, I'd like to just think of this uh, text and look at the scripture uh, in three categories. Symptoms, spirits, and spears. They all start with an S. Did you guys get that? Symptoms spirits and, and spears. First, if you're taking notes, uh, you, might, you might note this down, symptoms. Jealousy is actually a symptom of something else, namely pride. It's self-absorption. Humility is not thinking of your, more of yourself or less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often, and Saul lacked humility. Saul thought about Saul a lot, and, and you kind of run into people like this. You know, the, the type of person that has to be the bride at every wedding they attend and the corpse at every funeral they attend, you know? It's just everything kind of revolves around them. You can almost see it in their face. Like, what, what do I get out of this? Like, what, why do I need to be here? Is this worth it? Is there profit in this for me? I want that. Why did she get that promotion? I'm more qualified. I can't believe they got that house. They bought at the right time, and I, I didn't get to buy at the right time, and now they have higher ceilings. And I feel like I need to duck after I come to their house. My ceilings are only eight feet tall. Saul is an interesting character. He is noted as being extremely good-looking. He's noted as being a foot or more taller than everybody else in the Israeli army. And he's kind of the type that you would want for a king. If you haven't read uh, this whole context in the story of the Old Testament, basically God was the king of his special chosen people, Israel. And over time, the Israelites came to God and said, hey, we want to be like the nations around us. They have a king. And he kind of looks the part. And he kind of inspires us. And we, we kind of like, like that. That seems like a good model. And through the prophets... God says, you, you're not going to like the king thing. Kings are, are kind of, they're a pain. They lord their authority over you, and trust me, Yahweh, your God, is a better king. Let's just go with this plan. And, and they were persistent. And this is interesting, because in your relationship with God individually, and in our relationship with God collectively as a church, God, there's a lot of flex in the joints. God will let us have what we want oftentimes, even when it's not really in our best interest if we demand it. And, and that's mysterious in and of itself, but not so much if you've been a parent. 
you, you want to protect your kids, but you also want them not to be little robots. You want them to learn how to make choices. So eventually God lets them have a king, and it's Saul. And, and Saul is anointed, and it goes well for a little bit. He's gifted. He's charismatic. He, he can build an army and put together a, a fighting force that's very capable. He, he's prophetic. He's able to call out the truth about the future in advance in a way that honors God. And he inspires uh, bravery and, and loyalty. And there's one problem. He's disobedient. He thinks that when God tells him to do something, he can kind of cut corners and do it the Saul way. And so eventually, this pattern of disobedience disqualifies him. One of the most interesting things, and this is speculation, but, but going back to last week, isn't it the case that Saul should have stepped up and fought the giant Goliath? I mean, think about that. He's taller. He's got the better weapons. And he sat there with a, a formed army for many, many days as this giant hurled insults at the living God. And then this shepherd boy comes along and says, I need to defend the honor of God. I can't stand for that. And, and this warrior king, who's known for prowess on the battlefield, allows it. He allows like a preteen to go fight the battle that he really should have fought. And then as David matures and grows and is honored for that type of bravery, you can start to see Saul say, I want the honor of being a giant slayer without actually having to fight the giants. I am entitled to that because I'm the king and he really sees his position of authority not as some, something to serve, not as a gift that's given to him. He sees it as an entitlement, something to make it all about him. And there is a little bit of Saul in all of us. There's even a little bit of Saul in David if you read his story far enough. Jealousy, it's just a symptom. When you, when you feel that rise up, like, why do they get that? Like, what? Why is she so pretty? Why does she have the body type? I wanted that body type. Or why, does, why is he so athletic? And I, I kind of trip over my feet. That's not fair. Underneath that insecurity and that envy and jealousy is this bubbling sense that really it's all about me and I deserve more than what everyone else deserves. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in others. But knowing that it's a symptom is very helpful. And we'll come back to that in a bit. So there's, there's a symptom of jealousy is just a symptom. It's pride that's underneath that. It's me, my, I need it. Secondly, let's talk about spirits for a, middle, a, a minute. rather. If you give jealousy the house keys, God will let it move in. I'm referring, of course, to uh, 1 Samuel 18.10. And this is a troubling verse for a lot of Christians. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. So does God just send demonic spirits into people? That, on, on first read, it sounds like that's kind of what God does. And really, if you consult the better commentaries and the scholars over the centuries, there is this sense, not that God purposely sends harmful spirits to people. That would be the devil. That, that would be uh, the ant, spirit of the Antichrist. It's, 
it's really something closer to God giving you the desires that you insist on. Romans, for example, in the New Testament says, God gave them over to their lusts and passions. And if you want something bad enough, in the end, God will give you that. Hell, for example, is a troubling doctrine for a lot of Christians and certainly for a lot of non-believers. But I think it's troubling in part because it's misunderstood. C.S. Lewis once wrote, hell, the door of hell is locked from the inside. In other, in other words, hell is simply insisting till the end. I don't want you, God. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to have authority or claim on me. I don't want you to define reality. I want to define reality. And in the end, if you want to be a rebel till the end, God will let you. He'll give you the thing that you insisted your entire life you wanted, namely existence apart from him. And I think we see a little snapshot of hell in this moment with Saul. He had indulged his prideful, jealous motivations long enough and percolated them and stoked them that, that it was like he handed over the house keys to a spirit of jealousy and rage and anger. And you know this is true. When you put your mind on something over and over you start to just see that manifest in your life. Have you guys ever played the game Slug Bug? You know, you, you get a VW bug. You know, if you see one on the road, you get to slug somebody in the arm. Slug Bug! My kids and I do this. And I win because I still don't think they understand what a VW bug is. So, <laughs> so I, can, I can just be like, Slug Bug! And they're like, oh, I think that was just a station wagon. No, no, it was. <laughs> but, but when you play Slug Bug, the weird thing is you see... VW bugs everywhere because you're looking for them. When you indulge in jealousy, you start to get jealous about stuff you deep down really shouldn't even be jealous about. It starts to take over and you start to become an irrational version of yourself. I mean, what was Saul's plan? I'm going to pin David to the wall. Well, that was his plan. How would that solve anything really? Like, now he's got to explain why he killed one of his top generals that everybody is enamored with and loves. Not a great PR move. You know, that, do you think that would make the women change their, their tune? You know, oh, Saul kills his 10,000s and David killed his 10, or Saul kills his thousands, David killed his 10,000s and then, you know, Saul got jealous and killed David and that was really kind of demoralizing for the whole military. They're probably not going to sing your praises for that. Is God sending a demonic spirit? No, it's something closer to God giving Saul over to what he chooses over and over and over again. And this is a useful thought for all of us to th think about. We're all becoming something. Our character is forming through the choices we make. And God, he's not going to just hold you down and be like, be holy, make decisions that that honor your God-given nature. He's not going to force you or me to obey. And he doesn't do it to Saul. Instead, over time, he's going to gently say, is this who you want to become? Is this the life you want? I saw a clip uh, recently uh, from Craig Grishel, a pastor, and I posted it on my Facebook account. It was just really good, but he was saying, 
This wasn't about jealousy, but it's certainly applicable to Saul. He was saying, examine your anger for a moment and how you use your anger in your life. Is your anger bringing you and your children closer together? Is your anger producing fruits of intimacy in your marriage? How you handle your anger, is that helping you at work? Is that making other people around you want to be around you? How you deploy your outrage, is that making you learn how to think like Jesus and act like Jesus and love like Jesus and sacrifice like Jesus? I think not. And you see this de-evolution of Saul, this spear-throwing tyrant. Hey, speaking of spears, let's turn our attention to that. Carrie, I have a prop here. Carrie's going to hand that to me. The kids were very excited. Yeah. <laughs> so the, like the little kid in me, I, it's, it's a character flaw probably, but I just can't, you know, when I preach on something with a sword or a spear or something, I just have to make a prop. So, this is a big bamboo shaft that uh, Ari gave me, and it looks pretty good. It's duct tape and cardboard, so I've had to repair it twice since I made it um, in preparation for this, because my kids were playing with it in the backyard, and they kept breaking the head off. But, but I mean, just picture this. Like, Saul's just sitting in his throne room in his house, and, he, and he's just saying, you know, man, that David, who's playing music for me to calm me down is really irritating, and he's prophesying. He's kind of speaking the truth about himself and the future kingdom of God, and maybe what God gave him to speak out scared him. You know, maybe he said, I am going to be removed from from this throne. And David, the musician over there, the guy who killed the giant that I didn't have the courage to kill, the guy who everyone is writing ballads about because he's so effective as a, as a military guy, but he's also so, like, feminine and musical, and he gets the whole package. Gosh, he's going to take my kingdom, and I'm just going to pin him against the wall. And what was really funny about the text, if you notice, David evaded him twice. So does, does Saul just keep a big bucket of spears? Like, I mean, maybe you've worked for somebody like that. You know, you go in their office, and it's like, oh, man, he's got four spears. Maybe I should come back after he has a one-on-one with somebody else, and he'll run out, right? You know, but the truth is, You've known some spear throwers in your life. And in a room this size and people listening online, there are some spear throwers in here. Probably not this service. It's usually the second service. They're, much, they're, they're less spiritually mature. But what is a spear thrower? I mean, in our modern times, it's, it's not literal, probably, you know. We're not literally allowed to be violent in this culture and like a king in the ancient world could be allowed to... But you throw spears. You know what I'm talking about. What about gossip? You know, they got, they got that position, but they weren't really qualified for it, just between you and me. Yeah, I know it looks like they have a great marriage, but actually they, they struggle a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's really more of a prayer request, just so you can be in prayer for them. But I heard, you know, that he's, he's got a gambling problem. And, uh, you know, she, well, we all kind of know what she struggles with, right? What about undermining? I noticed uh, in the military, sometimes an officer would be promoted and like three officers could have gotten the command promotion, but I noticed sometimes as a chaplain, kind of the fly on the wall, the two that didn't get the promotion, they would throw a spear. How would they throw a spear? Well, they would work just hard enough to, to not get yelled at, 
but not hard enough to make the leader look good. And so the quality of the whole battalion went down. Why did they do that? They wanted to throw a spear at the guy that they were jealous that he got to be the commander. They didn't want to call him sir, but I guarantee you, if the roles were reversed and they got to be the commander and everyone called them sir, well, they would have had a different work ethic because they would want that battalion to succeed. There's lots of ways to throw spears. I think it even shows up in high school kids. You know, the gal who really is always making fun of those cheerleaders, those ditzy cheerleaders. And, oh, how could they be so into fashion? And she kind of defines herself in this counterculture that really stands for just being against the cheerleaders or the kid who's not great at sports and he just talks about jocks and they're just so dumb. But deep down... They're throwing spears because they want to be the cheerleader. They want to be the jock. The examples are many. But the fact is, we all are capable of throwing spears. As a practical note, what do you do if someone throws a spear at you? You duck, right, first. That would be, but, but then you put some distance between you and a spear thrower. If somebody's in your life right now and they're just throwing a lot of spears at you, they're undermining you, and it probably comes from a, a, a place of jealousy. There's nothing wrong with putting a little distance between somebody who's becoming toxic, who's giving themselves over to a spirit of jealousy and pride to such an extent that they want to destroy anyone else who has anything of value because deep down they think it should be theirs. And what do you do if you find that you are kind of throwing spears? You're jabbing people verbally because deep down you kind of want what they have. You're, you're undermining, you're slandering their reputation. You're, you're just wishing that they would trip and fall because it, it seems like they're always winning and you wish you could win in that way. What do you do if you're a spear thrower? If you want to stop throwing spears, you need to get off the throne. That's what Saul needed to do. He needed to humble himself. He needed to come to the conclusion that the only reason I have a spear to throw and I have a throne to sit on is because they were gifts given to me by God. Are you good looking? You didn't do that. That was a gift that God gave you. Do you have money? It's actually God's money and he's entrusting it with you and there will be an accounting of how you spend it. Do you have influence and charisma and gifts and a way with words and people? That's not yours. He gave it to you to advance his kingdom. Do you have a throne? Do you have a, a leadership assignment? If you're a parent, a grandparent, you do. Talk about influence. You're influencing the whole future of a small human being or multiple human beings. Are you somebody's boss? That's not yours. That belongs to God. And it, he cares about what? You're doing with that, but if you want to stop throwing spears, if you want to be a lot more like David and a lot less like Saul, you and I have to get off the throne. We have to be willing to get on the throne when he calls us to be, to be on the throne and to get off as soon as he calls us to get off. The throne of our life is really kind of what we're talking about. Philippians gives us such an incredible picture of this. Philippians talks about Christ. In your relationship with one another, Philippians 2, 5, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So are you sitting on the throne of your life or are you, are you allowing God to sit on the throne of your life? This is the question I think we have to ask ourselves every time we come to worship. And it's a heavy, it's a weighty question because it's easy to hear a message like this and read these scriptures and say, that applies to my, my buddy Greg. <laughs> or that applies to my relative. Or that applies to my spouse. And we just kind of gloss over the fact that, no, we're actually just as white-knuckled as Saul clinging to the things that we think we need, clinging to the power that we think will make us happy, clinging to whatever. And then it's like God starts to take that thing from us. And I really do believe there's mercy in that. God's trying to show us that we're not meant to cling to these idols. And then all of a sudden, we start to get jealous of other people. And if we indulge that jealousy and that spirit of pride over and over and over and over again, it's like God gives us over to that and we lose our minds and we start throwing spears that aren't even strategic, trying to pin people to the wall that are made in God's image. One last word about this spear concept. Some of you really relate to David because a lot of people have thrown spears at you in your life. And there is the question, why would a good and loving God allow King Saul to basically abuse David and throw spears at him over and over again? From this point in the narrative, I think it's 10 more years of Saul clinging to the throne and being insecure and jealous and throwing stuff at David. He will go on to uh, say, when, when it doesn't work, he can't pin him to the wall physically. He said, oh, why don't you marry my daughter? And then he, he said, and to prove yourself, go kill 100 of the bad guys, hoping that David will get killed in that conquest. And David is delivered, and the Lord's with him, and he just starts getting more jealous and angry and throwing more spears, real spears, and strategic metaphoric spears. And maybe you relate to David. People have done that to you in your life, and you're like, why would you allow this, God? Think for a minute that David is the author of the most comforting psalms in our scriptures. How in the world is he such an expert on knowing how to cling to God and to draw others into this skill set of being comforted by God's presence, trusting that God is faithful? Well, you would need to go through quite an ordeal to become a chief comforter like that, wouldn't you? You would need to have a lot of spears thrown at you and dodge a lot. Now, what I'm not saying is if you are in an abusive relationship and someone is hurting you or sexually, physically, emotionally abusing you, that's not justification to stay in that. That's not what I'm speaking about. But what I'm saying is maybe you have uh, an experience where someone is really jealous of you and someone's really making your life difficult. Maybe it's at work. This is a common thing in the workplace. Maybe it's in your own family. And maybe God is allowing this 
not because he's mean, but because he is looking at the long game, and he sees the type of man or woman that you might become. And he wants you to, to grow to be much more than a shepherd boy. He wants you to be a holy king made in the image of the one true king. In this series, it's very important that in every message, we remind ourselves, these aren't just stories about David. It's a, it's a story that points to the real David, the ultimate David, and that is Jesus Christ. And I just read from Philippians. Did you hear those words? Jesus didn't see his power, his throne, as something to cling to. He, get, he gladly gave it up. And that's a hard thing to do. And the question is, why in the world would he do that? And the answer is because he loves you and he wants to form a people. And he wants a relationship with people that over time, each one of us learn how to get off the throne of our lives and to kneel humbly and joyfully at the throne of the king of the universe. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we will recognize the symptoms We will see the pride in our own hearts, that we will not give our spirit over to a spirit of pride and jealousy, and that we will not throw spears. But when spears are thrown at us, we will respond like Christ. Let's pray. God, there will be giants. I pray for my friends here today who have some spears thrown at them in the past or who will have spears thrown at them in the future. I pray for anyone here today that is convicted of a spirit of pride. Would you just bring that sweet freedom of humility into their life? Lord, if if anyone has really gotten quite far down the road of of stoking the coals of jealousy as, as just a general habit, and that's starting to warp their character, would you show them how to turn back backtrack a little bit in humility and say, God, I don't deserve anything. I'm not owed anything. I really don't own anything. You own it all. You deserve it all. You made it all, but you delight to include me. Lord, help us to be people at Mercy Road Church who delight when others experience wins in life, when other people are more gifted than us, when other people have bigger, better houses than us. Help us to be people who are known for our humble dependence and humility and our joy. Help us to fight the giants. In Jesus' name, amen.